I'm sick of it. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of this. Of what? Health. Health. I'm sick of health. Sick of health. Hello. Here we are again. Back. Season two. Second episode. Um, again, I've got Rob Littlewood and Dr. David Wright with me. What a joy. Lads, how are we doing? I'm very well. It's great, great to be back. Yeah, really good to be back. Thank you. And um, I hope you all enjoy the addition of our wonderful guest, Shah, last time. It is back to just the terrible threesome this time, um, but I'm sure we'll be no less entertaining. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, I hope she's listening. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, she's an avid listener anyway. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, who isn't? <laughs> she came to us, not the other way around. Maybe. Um, <laughs> um, so before we dive into this week's episode, I thought, you know, we do our normal intro jazz. Well, there's a few interesting bits um, harking back to some previous episodes. So the first one, a little bit rogue. Have any of you heard of the book called I Am Pilgrim? Obviously, yeah. Yeah, blockbuster Oh, oh he shook his head. Sorry. No, I've Sorry. heard of I Am Legend, but not I Am Pilgrim. Really? No. Have, you, have you read it, Rob? Yeah, oh, I haven't. No, I haven't read it. No, it's been come recommended by three different people in the last few months. I really oh, do really? need to get around to it. Yeah. So that book, which I'm halfway through, I haven't finished it yet, so I can't tell you the end of the story. But if you remember our episode on how do you think you'll die, yeah, mm. listeners, if you haven't listened to it, it's honestly one of my favourite ones. Listen to it. Um, basically, the crux of it was in the end we were talking about how there's these epidemics, but the modern danger of an epidemic is humanly created viruses. Oh, right? I see the parallel now. Yeah, yeah. 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 And this book, that's exactly what happens in this book, is this terrorist creates a unbelievably lethal virus and goes out to destroy the world. Now, I haven't finished the book yet, so I can't, <laughs> I can't even, you know, no spoilers. ruin the ending, but a beautiful little uh, parallel to yeah. what we talk about. Mm. Shows as much, topical, yeah. as much as shows that it's real. <laughs> it's a fictional book, obviously. <laughs> how true that is. But it is a thing. Second one, Remember the prostate cancer episode? I do remember the prostate cancer episode. Um, so basically the conclusion of that was we were talking about how um, with prostate cancer, you don't know whether it's going to be an aggressive, lethal tumour per se. And you've got to make an uninformed decision about whether to go with the intervention treatment of surgery, which can have kind of life-changing effects, or whether to wait and see what happens, in which case it might be too late. Right, ring bells? Yeah, yeah, that was the dilemma. So the NHS have recently released a prostate cancer risk calculator, which does supposedly does exactly that, in that you will do it with your doctor, you'll input various bits of data that your doctor will know through biopsies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then it, the idea is at the end, it calculates your risk of your tumor being kind of benign and not, and you could, you don't need to have any interventions, or do you need to have that intervention or surgery? So interesting. It's such a useful tool, because yeah, it's almost like they were listening to us. Is the <laughs> point I was getting at. So the NHS are doing their policies from our podcast episodes. Just needed Correct. a nudge. Just needed a nudge. Correct. Um, but yeah, we'll see where that goes. I'm sure when the data comes out about how good it is, we will talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, unless anyone else has got anything, I think we can crack on. No, let's go. So this week's episode is going to centre around something called vaccine hesitancy. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, ring any bells? Absolutely none. So it's, I guess it's relate. it's essentially the idea, so it's to do with vaccinations, okay? 
and the idea that people in current times, I'm going to try and summarise this briefly because we'll go into more depth, but in the current climate, there is a certain amount of vaccine hesitancy, and that is people are hesitant to get vaccines. So, you know, your kids are meant to get, you know, MMR vaccine, yeah. this vaccine, that vaccine. There's hesitation about getting those vaccines. And then obviously implications, impacts of that. Mm. So that's the center focus of the episode. But I think to start with, we'll go to our resident expert. This is my favorite part, Dr. <laughs> David Wright, just for a little, uh, what is a vaccine? takes back to basics. Oh, yeah. you can tell he's been waiting for this. The last <laughs> oh, episode had no, no, no Dr. Yeah, David Wright no. moments. Now's my moment to shine. <laughs> well, going to keep it very, very basic because vaccinations and immunology is pretty complicated. And we started talking about it a little bit in the immunotherapy episode before the cancer immunotherapy. But um, on a very top level basis, vaccines are a way of teaching your body about a bacterial virus. Uh, that they exist before you come across them for the first time yourself. So it gives them a chance to produce a stronger, faster response to this bacterial virus before you get it. So you have a much better chance of surviving. And in fact, you won't get ill a lot of the time when you come across it. So it's a way of teaching you or teaching your body what is out there to protect yourself against it. Yeah, and I mean, within history, it's been, I mean, people tout it as one of the most successful medical interventions there's ever been. Because, um, I mean, it's it, you know better yeah. than me, but the success stories we've had. Yeah, so smallpox has now been eradicated because of it, which is incredible to think that a human intervention has eradicated a whole disease. And then there's lots of other diseases where it's been drastically reduced because of vaccinations. So things that you would re read about in, like, uh, Victorian novels, which no longer around uh, diphtheria, whooping cough, tetanus, polio, all these diseases, they're almost eradicated, but there's still a few kind of instances of them around, but they're the huge vaccination success stories. And I guess and the other one to mention is, which is kind of the key to this episode, is measles. Mm. So part of that MMR vaccine, uh, the three of which stand for? Measles, mumps and rubella. Yeah. Never knew that. Really? Well, there you go. There you go. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Education. Yeah, we're, doing it. we're doing it straight Educate off the Educate the mug in the corner. <laughs> That's not how we tell it. So, yeah, it's so measles. Um, and so far, kind of in terms of the, the effect of that vaccine, it's thought to have prevented more than 20 million deaths. And that's just between 2000 and 2017. And the story starts way before that. I think the vaccines were first originated in 1989. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess... The point of that intro is if these vaccines are so great, and it's not just in terms of a kind of effect, it's also cost effective, they're a really cost effective intervention. Mm -hmm. If they're so great, why is there this hesitancy to get them, mm. to, have, to give your child these life-saving vaccines, mm. 20 million life-saving vaccines? Um, to get into why there's the decline at this time, current times, we're going to hark back to a previous event. So as I said, um, in 1989 was the year when the MMR jab was first introduced. And in that year, there were uh, 86,000 cases reported. Okay, mm -hmm. so quite a bit. And then by 1993, uh, vaccines had, as we say, worked their magic. 
and there were no deaths. So there's a steady decline up to 1993, and by which point, no deaths. So it's, as mm. David was talking about, eradicated, more or less. Um, and then from that point on, you had uh, 12 years death-free. Th death the effect of it, amazing. Yeah. But then, in 1998, That's right, yeah. correct? I don't know if you've heard the name Andrew Wakefield. No. Fair enough. Basically, a guy called Andrew Wakefield um, released this paper, and it was, you know, a journal released. Who was the...? It's in Lancet, which Lancet. is a, one of the major medical journals, so very respected. He basically released a paper saying that there's a connection between the MMR jab and autism, as in having this MMR jab, which is meant to prevent measles, mumps, and rubella, actually can cause autism. Didn't know the name, but I'm, I, I recognize the topic of discussion. Yeah. yeah. Um, as we've been saying, so the 89 was in the vaccine was introduced, vaccine rates were at 90%. So 90% of the population, um, or it, it was even higher, a little bit higher, wasn't yeah. it? The population were being vaccinated. And that was enough for something called herd immunity, which David can explain quickly for us. Yeah, so herd immunity, if you have a certain amount of the population immune to a virus or bacteria, then there aren't enough people that aren't protected from it for the virus to spread around. So once you reach a critical level of people protected, then the virus no longer becomes a threat to everyone else because it just can't travel around. And it's also particularly important for people that aren't suitable for vaccination, such as if you're really ill or old or young, then if you have this herd immunity in place, then as long as, depends on the actual disease itself, but it's normally around 95%, as long as that many people are uh, vaccinated, then it's not an issue. Yeah, so, and then kind of where that's important in this story is that before Andrew Wakefield releases this paper, the vaccination rates are above that or around that herd immunity level. Mm. That means, you know, there's that zero death effect that we talked about. But as a result of this paper, over the next few years, it drops to 79%, which is well below the herd immunity threshold, which obviously has a, then an impact on cases of measles and then death from measles. So bearing in mind, um, so the paper was 1998, yeah. obviously takes a few years to have effect, but by 2006, you then have the reintroduction of death from measles and then the cases keep increasing. So 450 measles cases in that year, 2006, which was the highest levels for 20 years. So I think it's good to say that this paper got a lot of media attention at the time in 1998. So obviously not the average person, 13-year-old in Manchester, is going to be reading the Lancet Journal. But <laughs> <laughs> don't know, don't know about you at 13. Yeah. I was reading it at 13. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> but yeah, so it got tons of media attention and there was suddenly, it was kind of, it was a bit of a PR gaffe amongst the whole um, well, media and political community that it, this was suddenly given a lot of attention. So suddenly the the confidence in vaccinations just nosedived and yeah. then hence vaccination rates dropped. But then this paper as such from Andrew Wakefield, there was a lot of issues with it and then it got discredited. What year did it get discredited? Quite a lot later, 2010. 2000. So it took 12 years. 
so 12 years of this, I mean, not 12 years of PR hype. You have this immediate PR hype where newspapers pick up on these headlines of MMR leads to autism. And then, as David will explain, when they look into the paper in more detail, it's essentially a fraud. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's shocking, really, that it took 12 years to get kind of officially retracted from the journal. And I think it was... It was called out fairly early on for being questionable and dubious, but the journal itself didn't retract it. And then there were 12 authors, and now 10 of them have uh, taken their names off it, but still two of them, including Andrew Wakefield, still stand by it. But it's it's basically a load of crap, <laughs> this paper. <laughs> yeah, so the whole um, conclusions were drawn on 12 different boys that they uh, tested on. So that's a very, very small size to be making such a large claim about. Um, they looked at children in the Manchester area, I think it was, who had been vaccinated, and they saw that he was a gastrointestinal doctor, and he saw that they had this link with autism. But actually, uh, so these weren't 12 random children that had been vaccinated. He had taken specifically 12 children from the clinic that had signs of autism. So he'd cherry picked the data. So he wasn't just doing the first 12 that came into the clinic. He was just like, okay, that one's got symptoms. That one's got symptoms. Well, that one's got symptoms. It's ridiculous that it took 12 years to fact check yeah. this. Yeah. And then uh, not only that, so some of these children presented with symptoms before the vaccination itself. So not only did they pick ones specifically that they wanted, they picked ones that had also started getting symptoms before there's vaccination, so you have no cause effect there. And then also, he had financial interest in this, so he was um, getting paid by lawyers who were looking to sue vaccine makers against the MMR jab, and they wanted to build a case against them. So he was on their payroll to build up uh, scientific, in inverted commas, evidence against them. So he had a financial reason to do it. And he, he himself had um, owned a patent against a competitor to the MMR vaccine. So he had... Well, it's just crazy. It's yeah. absolutely crazy. And so this was Andrew Wakefield who was on the payroll, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he still stands by all of that. They must have paid him quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's the interesting thing. So he got, not only did the paper get discredited, but he got his UK license revoked. revoked. Yeah. Good. Um, and he's now in the US in Chicago doing... The same thing, essentially. Did you uh, see him talk last week when you were in Chicago? I didn't. I didn't know. I, I mean, thank goodness, but a different, different disease area. A rowdy. <laughs> yeah, him and talk. Donald Trump Ooh, chatting together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the outcry at the time, and so obviously, the government or the scientific community need to do whatever they can to. So this is what this resulted in vaccine hesitancy, right? The folks of this mm -hmm. government, scientific community, want to do whatever they can to right the wrong and discrediting the paper is only one aspect. But no, that's, that's a, uh, this slightly misleading. I guess the, the scientific community in a pure scientific way isn't necessarily writing the wrong, it's finding out whether it's right or wrong. Okay. Yeah. yeah Loves yeah. the scientific community. Yeah. Yeah. does, yeah. David. Yeah. You Straight you, yeah. That. Right. <laughs> Defending it. <laughs> yeah. They're not coming in with a prejudiced answer because he could have been right and there could have Gen like these things happen. Vaccines aren't inherently safe when they start, so mm -hmm. lots of ones falter along yeah. the way. And even now, you get vaccines that come onto the market. Dengue, yeah. Yeah, dengue fever. One came on a couple of years ago, which is was released to tens of thousands of people in the Philippines, and then it was only recently found out that it's not safe. So then it got retracted. So the fact that this happened is not implausible, 
but it's it was kind of it's very dubious. So they had to test it to see yeah. whether this is right or wrong. Oh, thank you for correcting me. <laughs> we want to be fair and balanced on this podcast, <laughs> and I get carried away. I get excited. <laughs> David brings me back. So that is beautiful. Um, powerful as well. Absolutely powerful. But my point was the scientific community to find out the truth. Yeah. Is that a fair way yeah. of putting it? To find out the truth, then invested money in doing loads of studies since then. Yeah. Which, I mean, Dave, I know David's got a quick summary for us. Yeah. So rather than looking at 12 people, there's a Danish one that looked at over 600,000, which is a bit better. And then there was a what's called a meta-analysis, which looks <laughs> just a little bit tighter. 600,000 children from the autism department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Andrew Wakefield <laughs> School of Autism. <laughs> and then another one, which was a meta-analysis, which is a study of lots of different studies. So it's basically collecting all the evidence they'd taken in uh, other places, and that amalgamated to 1.2 million children and basically both of those said there's absolutely no link at all and not only no link between uh, measles vaccination and autism there's also no link between other things which the anti-vaccination movement had started picking up on in the meantime such as uh, uh, constituents of vaccinations because so there's little bits of um, metals in there so you have some uh, aluminium, which forms part of it, which is just helps boost your immune response. Well, in the in the vaccinations, oh, right, okay. yeah, in the vaccines, and um, I think there's a little bit of mercury in there as well. And these mm -hmm. are all just at lower levels than you have within your body or other bits uh, too. But yeah, they just they showed that none of those components lead to any problems at all. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of the scientific community, there is no connection. That's what con conclusively, Ooh. that's what all this data shows. Yeah. Which leads us nicely to what we introduced at the start. So, okay, we understand why there was that vaccine hesitancy in that period, but why has it started, why the level started reducing again in the last couple of years? Mm. Um, because, I mean, just another, you know how much we love a stat, but um, so the immunization reached another peak in 2013, back up even higher than it was, like 93%. Um, following the Wakefield saga and then this data that comes out and still comes out. But in recent years, the last two years specifically, 2018 and now this year, um, it started dropping again. So in London, for instance, it's now, it's not the same lows, but 89%, dropped to 89% vaccine levels. So why is this the case when we've got conclusive evidence that it's not happening is the question. Mm. Any, any ideas? I I don't know. I probably my first thought would be it would be a cultural influence, you know, herbal remedy kind of influence that perhaps has taken hold. I don't know if one has. It's just It's a good parallel herbal remedy because it's another one where there's conclusive science well not herbal, sorry, but homeopathic. Yeah. It's more okay. unthinking. Alternative. Yeah. yeah. Conclusive yeah. evidence that it doesn't work, but people still very much invest in it. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a good okay. parallel. All right, yeah. so it's not necessarily a bad guess then, thankfully, but it is, a tr <laughs> it is truly a wild stab in the dark. I don't, I don't know, I'm really I mean, not sure. Essentially, first point is there is still this kind of skepticism, despite all the scientific data, there's still from the public, this skepticism hanging around the link with autism. Mm. And that is because, I mean, there's various different facets to it. The one thing is that there's a, very much at this point in time, there's a public distrust of 
government. government. We're talking specifically about the UK, are we, where no. these figures have risen? This is a global. global. Well, okay. So they've always been a little bit low in um, less economically developed countries, and that's kind of slightly more complicated. It's more money, yeah. access, but also a little bit of this, of distrust in... Yeah. But yeah, this is, we're talking mainly kind of Western countries, so UK, US, Europe. US, Europe is the focus of this aspect in particular, yeah. this rise of what they call of uh, populist politics. Yeah. And it's just this whole idea of, so populist politics is anything but central politics. It doesn't matter if it's left wing, right wing, it's mm. just going against the grain. And it, come, it stems from this mistrust of government which is, I guess, for us personally, given Brexit, promises like that, it's kind of understandable. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a populist wave. It's quite pretty predominant across the world at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I know Italy is another good example. Greece is another good example. France, US with US. Trump is an example. Yeah. Um, and Austria, they mm. recently had trouble far right. Yeah, anyway. Exactly. So it's, I mean, it's a known phenomenon. We say the last few years, but recent, recently, and that some people. My last Uber driver. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some people have kind of drawn a connection between that and vaccine hesitancy because it's become government policy to almost. We don't have it compulsory in the UK, but it's talked about a lot in terms of your child can't go to school unless you get them vaccinated, that kind of policy, which is the case in Italy, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, which incites that kind of populist philo philosophy, mm -hmm. right? And there's even papers that have looked at it, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just a wide distrust of the government. And it's kind of based on legitimate things because governments have failed the people in a lot of different places. And that's just kind of spread now into a general distrust of facts. And you have all the fake news and it's a distrust of experts. And then this is also spread into kind of fairly well-established scientific and medical opinion as well. So now this anti-establishment, which might be right in a lot of cases, but has now kind of gone into what's kind of safeguarding a lot of people against diseases. Yeah. Got a kind um, of mainstream skepticism. Yeah, no. about everything. And I mean, it's healthy to be s skeptical about things. And this is one of the reasons why Andrew Wakefield's got a lot of popularity, because he's not necessarily saying a lot of the time that um, it causes autism, the measles vaccination, but that you should challenge your doctor and uh, question everything, which is very good to kind of question things and not mm -hmm. take everything at face value. But not in this case, because he's kind of, he is kind of insinuating that you shouldn't get yeah. vaccinated and there's absolutely no evidence for it. Most dangerously misleading in yeah. this situation, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Hugely dangerously misleading. I mean, the stat is that vaccine hesitancy um, results in 1.5 million deaths due to that vaccine hesitancy, that's the stat. Mm. Um, but interestingly, David and I watched part of this uh, oh, recently. Yeah. So as we said, Andrew Wakefield's gone to America, to Chicago, mm. and become a documentary producer. Mm -hmm. he's, he's produced this documentary called Vaxxed, V-A-X-X-E-D. Watch it by all means, but with an open mind. And um, it's very persuasive. Yeah, it's very. We're sitting there watching it, and you can pick holes in it knowing about the trials and the data, but they use, it's all kind of case study based. So lots of personal videos of people who have had children who have had the MMR vaccine and then started to develop autism. 
Yeah. Um, but he builds this, the documentary builds this very convincing story. It's very emotional language and has a lot of kind of parents who are absolutely distraught because they're perfectly developing children were talking and kind of expressing like, perfect emotions. And then suddenly a week or six months after a vaccination, then they, they're struggling to do so. But obviously, I mean, that is very compelling on its own. But as soon as you think, like, right, the signs of autism are going to be coming along at the same time you need vaccinations. Yeah. And that definitely doesn't mean the two are linked. Yeah, it's just, just pointing the finger anecdotally. Exactly. It's that anecdote, one anecdotal story versus 600,000 from that trial. Yeah. But if you're watching it, it is convincing. And in that sense, it's so dangerous and can account for some of that vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. I'd give it a watch. It's interesting. Okay, all right. Um, you get a 50% discount if you order 10 DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> They're struggling. <laughs> That's true as well. Um, Please don't buy 10. <laughs> and then the, the other points, which I guess this links quite, so we talked about politics a bit. So just because it's fun, I'm going to read out some Donald Trump tweets here because he, oh, him and Andrew Wakefield are buddy, buddies, funnily oh, enough. Oh, um, so he starts with, I'm being proven right about massive vaccinations the doctors live lied save our children and their future this one's one of my favorites no more massive injections tiny children are not horses one vaccine at a time over time god he's a sucker for a conspiracy yeah it? yeah so that actually that's so one of the arguments for this is that so before the mmr vaccination it was given the measles mumps rubella was were given as three separate injections that's one of the things andrew wakefield is pushing for is getting it all done as separate injections again. So that's why, yeah, Donald Trump is saying they're not horses, which is absolutely ridiculous because it's a very small volume and it's worked perfectly. <laughs> yeah. to expect. And then the last one, which is a good one, healthy young children goes, to, a healthy young child goes to doctor, gets pumped with massive shots of many vaccines. His English is terrible. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel good and changes, caps lock. Autism, full stop. Many such cases, <laughs> exclamation mark. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, we know what <laughs> we know what he's like. But it leads to an interesting point, which kind of also explains another aspect to explain vaccine hesitancy, which is the role that celebrities play. Yeah. And there's a massive um, disparity or difference between the role celebrities played the first time round. So back in 1989 when the paper first... Oh, sorry, not the first time around, but in the past. When vaccines were first kind of coming to the fore. Versus now. So yeah. a really cool little story. Back when they were... So David talks about the polio vaccine um, at the beginning. Um, and so when that came out, uh, 1950s, mm-hmm. um, there was it was kind of one of the first vaccines. So it was kind of a new thing. In terms of young children, the uptake was really good. But in teenagers, they really struggled because I've a similar idea to the populism thing, right? Teenagers are very much that anti-establishment yeah. generation. Mm-hmm. So one of the things they did was they got um, Elvis Presley was going on a one of the famous chat shows in the day. Um, and they got him to have a polio vaccine live on TV before he went on this chat show. Really? Yeah, and it had a big impact on uptake yeah. of vaccination. Mm. You can imagine at that time, rock and roll was a huge thing, yeah. like popular the culture. The king is yeah. having a polio vaccine. I'm going to have a polio <laughs> yeah. vaccine. I'm going to go get one now. Do whatever I can to be like the king. Exactly. And they, I mean, to be fair to them, they also did, uh, it's very much of the time, but all these other little um, things. They did these 
kind of teenager-led things for teenagers and uh, the things they came up with were quite funny but apparently quite effective so one of them was encouraging girls to if a boy asks you out the girl has should ask them have you had your polio vaccine and, <laughs> and if they say no then you can't go out with them it's honestly one of the things <laughs> then the other one was um they had vaccine parties and they'd invite all the attractive young women to these vaccine parties <laughs> but the, the, one, the one we were focused on was the polio one and then that kind of flip side of where we are now, um, where obviously you've got the Andrew Wakefield thing, I wouldn't necessarily call him a celebrity, but there's kind of quite a few celebrities who are part of this anti-vaccine movement. To name a few, uh, Robert De Niro, Jim Carrey, Charlie Sheen, uh, Jenny McCarthy, who neither of us knew, mm. but she went on some of the big talk shows. She's got a child with autism. Influential, if not questionable. Yeah. Yeah. Opinions. yeah. yeah um, I guess the idea there's the flip, there's uh, from celebrities very much endorsing that you should do it to some going the complete opposite end of the scale, and mm. then there's not really, there's not the other end of the scale. There's no celebrities going out there to endorse the MMR mm. jab. Yeah. Um, so we need Ryan Gosling coming out and just getting a jab. Yeah. He yeah. would do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet him. <laughs> Please, can you get an MMR jab? Hi, Ryan. Hope all's well. <laughs> Please get a polio jab. <laughs> I think polio sorted, mate. We're yeah, fine yeah, on that yeah, one. <laughs> the MMR now. Yeah. Um, but essentially, uh, the point is, I think those are the, t the two main factors that we've nailed down anyway. I say nailed down, still up for debate. Mm. But it, just to tie it up, I guess. The BMJ, so the journal. Yeah, British, British Medical it? Journal. British Medical Journal, that's the one. He's always there for me. <laughs> yeah. um, recently did like a poll on Twitter just of should we make the, should we make, uh, the measles vaccine compulsory? And based on what we said today, would you say yes, no? I mean, if we're black and white, logically, yes. But we live in a democratic culture where I think people should be able to make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. And so... I think in theory, people should be able to make their own mind up. But my logical conclusion here, and I think this is slightly different from some of the conversations we've had in the past where, you know, we've had a story and I've come out of that story with a very clear answer and then suddenly something's been thrown into the mixer to throw that into doubt. It's kind of been different here because, yes, Andrew Wakefield was a very credible author at the time, you know, had... I'm sure plenty of backing from well-trusted individuals in the industry and then discovered to have this bias that kind of completely disproves his approach mm. has the conclusion has been quite consistent throughout this conversation so I would love to say yes absolutely yeah, it should yeah. be compulsory I don't see why not there's no reason why um, people should doubt it they should just read more that's a different as a different topic if they want to be asking questions they want to be asking the right questions and they shouldn't be, you know, believing stuff like this without looking further into the story. But we do live in a democracy. And it, it's, and that's a good summary. Although David, I'm the opposite. Says, yeah, <laughs> I'm the complete opposite. Because, just because it's very hard. Like immunology is a very complex topic, and understanding all of this is is very difficult. And you need a lot of time on your hands to kind of get to grips 
with the concepts of it and herd immunity we touched upon earlier is a massive part on that. And you need 95% of people for measles at least to get to the herd immunity threshold. And I don't think it's realistic to expect 90% or 95% of the population to educate themselves to a great enough level to have full confidence in vaccinations with everything else you've got going on, with working zero contract hours, having no job security, massive unemployment, mental health issues we talk about, all mm. these other things you've got going on in day to day life. You can't expect that everyone or even yeah. close to 95% of people to learn about immunology and the point of it. So I think with some things, yeah, I'm obviously pro democratic. But I think no, some course, things yeah. you've just got to be like, right, this is it. You've just got to do that. And this is this is <laughs> this is why it's interesting, this point, right? Because and just now quickly to reveal the answer to that poll, because it shows both sides. It was 60, uh, well, you know, 60, 66, 33 percent, 66 percent for compulsory, 33 percent mm-hmm. against. So okay. by no means convincing. Yeah, yeah. And, I think and that's a BMJ audience, which is a very scientific audience. audience. Yeah, yeah, sure. Which is really interesting, and I think it's because of those points. And also because if you go full, let's make it compulsory, what have we talked about, the rise of populist politics? Yeah. You make something compulsory, people are going to question it and not want to do it. Yeah. So a lot of the arguments are, don't make it compulsory, but one, make the infrastructure as easy as possible for it to happen, so it's readily available, which in the UK, we're very lucky, is very mm. much the situation we have. Yeah. And then two, it's about preparing and educating, educating doctors yeah. to have the right conversation with parents about mm-hmm. their children. And providing people with the right information. And if they don't accept it, just sneak it into the water supply anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, here we go. What do, you, what do you do? Andrew Wakefield, Mark II, the other way around. Yeah, what, what do you reckon? Um, I was really, the, reading the BMJ stuff really changed my, I was full on, obviously compulsory. Yeah. Because scientifically it makes sense, which is again, my background as well. Yeah. But the populist politics thing, I get. It's the, it's the time we live in. Yeah. People don't do, they don't agree with the government. They don't do what they're told. They don't trust the government, which I mean, you know, we completely mm. get that. Um, and then the bit I read, which I fully agree with is, it's it's your doctor's duty to have that conversation and give them the facts. If the facts don't persuade them, hopefully they'll go away and research themselves. And as long as those facts are readily available and come above the anti-vaxxer stuff, mm. and that's the problem, that their stuff is well out there on the internet. As long as as long as you're coming above that and they get the information they need. And influential individuals will also show up higher on those search results. People yeah. like Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. It's, ed- it's too, I guess that's the other aspect, in mm. educating in influential individuals. Yeah. yeah. Is in this day and age, as it was in the 1950s, and will be, you know, always will be, is huge. Mm. So that was a nice inclusive answer for me as well. <laughs> so I think we've got they, uh, Rob on one side, yeah. David on the other side, me somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm kind of on a natural selection <laughs> path, aren't I, and you're yeah. more. Um, put it in that water supply. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think let's let's hear from the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got an email address now. Yeah, <laughs> we do. And a reminder of that email address, good point, is team at sickofhealth.co.uk. What's that, Rob? Team at sickofhealth.com. <laughs> oh, fake news. <laughs> Classic gag. It's .co.uk. .co.uk. Um, 
Hit me up. But I think that's, I mean, if an inconclusive, but a good place to leave it. Yeah. Um, no, good. We don't want an easy answer, do we? No. That's Absolutely what we're not. here for. We're yeah. here for a bit of debate. We'll the provide the facts. Topics. Yeah. And then we can uh, debate them. I'm sure you guys have enjoyed having more scientific conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great one. Yeah. Yeah. None of that deep chat stuff. Although <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a bloke obviously I need to open up. Yeah. Kind of thing. Learn that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's everything we've got time for. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Dead Ready Productions, for absolutely. your continued support. Shout out Dead Ready Productions. Shout out Douglas David Wright. Shout out Rob Littlewood. Shout we'll out Snap. Yeah. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Sick, so sick, so sick of hell.